Hello there, I'm Dee Reddy and welcome to Inside Intercom. This week's show is a very special episode of Inside Intercom where we discuss the best practices for working remotely. At Intercom, we've always optimised for face-to-face working as much as possible. So the move to working from home has presented some new challenges for us as an organisation. However, as a global company with five offices, we've learned a lot about working when teams are split between locations. And we've also had a small number of teammates who always work remotely to ensure that we can support our customers around the world. So we've brought together three of our most experienced remote folks for a roundtable discussion, hosted remotely of course, to talk through what they've learned and how to operate at your best while on your own. We chat to Rory Gallivan, Jack Jenkins and Jade Shearston. Between them, they have some really great advice and insights on everything from managing your time, compartmentalising your space and just minding yourself. I find it really useful chatting to them on this topic, so we hope it's useful to you too. Let's head over to the studio now and hear from our panel. Thanks all for joining us today on this very special episode of Inside Intercom. Rory, Jade, Jack, to kick us off, do you want to give us a bit of background on yourselves, your work and where and when you ended up working remotely. Rory, let's start with you. Sure. Um, my name is Rory. I run the customer engagement team here at Intercom, out of the Dublin office. That's broadly three kind of areas. It's customer lifecycle marketing, product education, and customer advocacy. I joined Intercom about six and a half years ago as a video producer at the time, making kind of help screencasts and writing the product docs. But I did that remotely from Berlin. Uh, for the, So my first four years as an Intercom employee were, were, were remote. And then eventually, as I suppose the team was growing and the role started to expand a little bit, I moved back to the Dublin office. So I haven't been remote for about a year, no, a couple of years now at this stage. But uh, yeah, four years in, in Berlin remote. Brilliant. And Jack, what is your circumstances? You work remotely currently. That's right. So I work remotely from France. Uh, I'm a part of the customer engagement team that Rory just mentioned, uh, but I was hired at Intercom originally as a member of the support team when I was still based in New Zealand to do support for our APAC customers. Prior to that, I'd been working remotely for about four years, so close to seven years working remote now. And Jade, you used to work remotely, but you're in our London office now, is that right? Yes, that's correct. So um, I'm currently the R&D operations manager and when we're in the office, I'm based in London. But I actually joined Intercom two weeks after Jack about four years ago. And that was part of our APAC support team, which was 100% remote at the time. So when I was part of that team, I was traveling um, for most of it. And that was about two years before moving into the office in London. Great. And just to give everyone a bit of context on where everyone is right now, you've all set up fairly unusual recording setups for yourselves. Yes, I am currently encompassed inside a white sheet and I can't see outside. (laughs) I'm on our landing upstairs, surrounded by a pillow fort of sorts. (laughs) Uh, I was, up until a few minutes ago, propping up a mattress against the wall lying on the floor, but my mobile phone, which I was trying to connect to the internet through, wouldn't allow me to do that. So now I'm speaking uh, over a large blanket in my front room at my laptop. Lovely. All very professional setups all together. So guys, just to move into the actual experience of of remote working for people, because you guys have such broad experience of it yourselves, what are the biggest challenges do you think people face in terms of their output when they're working remotely? Jack, let's go to you on this first. 
I think one of the biggest challenges that people can face, certainly something that I faced when I originally started remote working, is sort of that isolation um, and being away from people and, and not communicating with people as much. I was originally doing web development, so I was just at home talking to the cat and I got real cabin fever. Since working on the customer support team and then working with a team of people at Intercom and chatting in Slack and, and chatting with our customers and having a bit of that banter, even digitally, totally cured me of the cabin fever. Jade, do you want to give us your input on that? Yeah, I'd actually say maybe one of the biggest challenges wasn't necessarily output, but actually too much output in the sense of like not looking after yourself, you know, not taking proper sick days if you actually are sick because you're already at home or not taking those breaks and kind of getting work-life balance in place. So yeah, just it's quite easy to forget about that when you're feeling more isolated at home, you know, working by yourself or, or not in the office with those kind of distractions that kind of come into your day naturally anyway. So that's definitely one of the, the biggest challenges I personally also struggle with as well. Yeah, definitely have that feeling of that's the one that comes up all the time is like not knowing the boundary between home and kind of work and not being able to separate it. It's definitely something you don't see coming at the start. And then you realize like you're working too late or you're waking up first thing and opening your laptop and you really shouldn't be doing that. But yeah, going back to what Jack said, like the isolation thing mixed with the time zone thing was a big challenge for me initially. But my like the person I reported to was over in San Francisco and I'd wake up in the morning and a bunch of stuff would have happened. Uh, the night before and Slack would be full of messages and conversations would be concluded and getting my head around how to work around that dynamic I found really really tough at the start because you kind of have to learn to like assume the best intent if you're not part of a discussion or a, a decision that's okay you just have to follow it up the next day and, and, and loop yourself back in so that was one of the big challenges I remember at the very beginning trying to adjust to that. So yeah, in terms of maintaining that work-life balance, even on a physical level, then if you're working out of your own home, guys, what do you think are tips that you could give people in terms of actually building a home office for themselves or having a separate area that they work in that's not the exact same spot that they watch TV in, TV on later that evening? Roy, do you want to speak to that first? Yeah, the temptation is definitely to like, be super flexible and be able to work from your kitchen table or your sofa or as I have been doing this week with my kids in the house uh, sometimes on the staircase <laughs> but um yeah you what you really need to do is 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 to find that area and create that physical boundary because that's the place that you can like walk out of in the evening and close the door and leave your laptop in there I would say like even in smaller places if you're in like a one bedroom apartment or not even a, an apartment, like a studio with no walls that you can close. I've heard people, I haven't done this personally, but I've heard people using music as something that kind of creates boundaries in the day. So you might have something that you start your day with, maybe a certain song or type of track that you have your coffee with, or your breakfast, and then you have your kind of work music for the day, whatever background music you prefer for work. And then when that kind of, you know, stops that at the end of the day, you can then move into to evening mode. Personally, I would like a bit of jazz, but yeah, like you don't necessarily have to have the physical door, but I think creating that rhythm and routine for yourself in your own space can help as well in terms of those boundaries. That's a really lovely idea, Jade. And you're actually literally using rhythm to create the rhythm for yourself if you're, if you're looking to music. So are you saying that you could produce different playlists for yourself that would be suitable to different times in your day? Yeah, definitely. Um, playlists are obviously a super easy way to do it. I'm not a a huge music buff. So I tend to use playlists that already are created on Spotify, <laughs> but they've got loads of options. So um, if that works for you, it's definitely something worth, worth trying if you don't have a huge space to, to operate within. I can definitely 
attest to that working. I've always gone with like a really flexible work setup because I, I traveled a lot while I was working. So I don't have an extra monitor. I've only recently got a proper seat to sit in. Um, it's just been me and my laptop, which did make it difficult. But um, I actually do have a playlist that I listen to while I work. And even if I'm, you know, doing a personal project on my laptop in the evening, I won't use that work playlist. Even if it's good for focus, I'll use I'll use a, a different one to really separate that space. It also helps with having the family around. The kids see the headphones in, and they see that as an indicator, like, oh, daddy's focusing right now, and they know that it's not a great time to come in and have a chat. But if they're out, I know I'm not doing super focused work, and it's cool for them to come in and hang out. So that's helped to be another sort of physical barrier without being an actual door. Yeah. On the family thing, like having that conversation up front, I know a lot of people are facing a situation now where their partner um, is also working from home or their kids are home from school now or or flatmates uh, are all in the same space. Having probably a conversation up front, if you haven't already, on like who needs what to kind of make this work so everyone's on the same page, I think would be super helpful. I know that like I've tried to work from a family home before and at least my parents um, (laughs) didn't quite understand that I was actually working when I was sitting in front of a computer typing um, and so kind of educating and having the conversation around like what is work time, what's not, what are the interactions that can be for the day, when do you need quiet space or quiet time if it's something you do need in your day and so everyone's kind of on the same page. Yeah, we definitely do have those conversations. And again, it can be it can be easy to slip into just trying to make it work without talking about it. But yeah, in the in the last like couple of weeks, we've been having kind of morning briefs of like, okay, here's my calendar for the day. These are the times of my calls. These are the times I need to get work done, and these are the times I'll be around for the kids. And so it's kind of we're doing it kind of on a day to day basis, kind of get get organized. Like a family stand up. <laughs> like a family stand up, exactly. That's really nice. And it, and there are definitely some very simple changes that people can make either with their family or just in their routine. So let's focus now a bit more on the positives. Jay, do you want to start in this one? What are the actual really lovely beneficial things in your life that you've found from working remotely? Yeah, look, I personally love working remotely for the positive parts. There's definitely pros and cons for, for both setups. But what I've learned through through the experiences of working remote is just how personal you can make those connections with your teammates. It, it seems counterintuitive when you're not in the same space. But for the first, I think, at least 18 months of the team that Jack and I were first working on, none of us had actually met in person yet it was probably one of the strongest teams I've ever been part of. And that was all built through kind of remote connections and really reaching out. It it forces you, I think, to to get a bit more personal in the fact that when you're having that VC call with someone, you're almost brought into their house. So just by chance, you'll end up meeting their family, their kids, their pets, seeing their bookcase behind them and what kind of books are on the shelf. There's all these chances to, to have a bit more of a personal insight to each other which helps you kind of build empathy with your teammates. So, you know, when their kids are sick or something else is happening with the dog, with the vet, like you're part of that already. And and I think it just creates really strong bonds between teams. So um, that's definitely one of my biggest positives about that. So if it's not something that, you know, your team does naturally anyway, creating the opportunity to do that, I think is definitely, definitely worth the time and effort and to take pause of like where in our work days do we have these times for like these personal interactions to to snap out just like you would in an office when you go and walk to make a coffee or you go and get a snack or go like even just walk into a meeting room from your desk. There are all these little micro interactions you have during the day. And how do you facilitate those online through tools like Slack um, to, to still build those same relationships despite not being in the office together? 
I think that's a really interesting insight you've shared there, Jade, because I think the default position would be to assume that remote working is less personal. But as you've said, it, it allows you to see aspects of your coworkers' lives, like their art choices or their book choices or their kids that, that you might not otherwise see. Jack, have you any thoughts on that? Yeah, I can definitely second everything that Jade said. I mean, we, we were on the same team and even now, I'm on the other side of the world from the rest of that team. So as Jade, I still talk to them more so than than some of the colleagues I'm in the same time zone with. Uh, we all got super, super tight. And I think it came from having to over-communicate in a lot of ways because you're sort of not present in an office. You not being in the office isn't a good enough indicator that you're not available. So you're going to say, hey, I'm going to be out for this or that reason or and, and you're talking about these things. And we made space in like our Monday stand-ups to just take 15 minutes and go around the room and say, what did you guys get up to on the weekend? And even when some of the team moved into an office, we continued that tradition for the people who were still remote. And it's just making that that concerted effort to do it. Um, it was great. I always really looked forward to hearing what people did. We would do fun little things like share the last photo in your camera roll, whatever it happens to be. Or, you know, tell us how your weekend was using only emoji. Um, just little fun things to to build that interaction. Because it can be a little bit awkward at first to, I guess, sort of force those. But there's definitely ways to make it fun. The other huge bonus for me has definitely been the flexibility to be able to travel. I did a coast-to-coast trip across the United States while working New Zealand support hours. Um, I just worked in the evenings and I got to go sightseeing and and hung out with the family during the day. I certainly couldn't have done that from an office, so that was amazing. And just in general, being able to hang out with my kids more, I can go and have lunch with them without having to drive home from anywhere. And, you know, if someone has a tumble, I can go and and give them a hug to make them feel better. I, I really appreciate that. Rory, what about you? Because I know you established almost like a little circuit of cafes for yourself that you used to go to, which you found useful for compartmentalizing your work. Yeah, we spoke about like working from home. I actually didn't do that much working from home, especially when the kids came along. I used to get up and leave every morning and, you know, and come back in, in the in the afternoon or the evening. I, w- I wasn't going far. I was going to my local coffee shop or to a co-working space down the road where I kind of rented a desk. Co-working spaces are actually super distracting places. Not a whole lot of work being done by some people, not a lot of focus or quiet. There's a lot of chatter and things going on all around you. So I actually found them really difficult places to work in. So I started basically kind of getting up a little bit frustrated some afternoons and going to a coffee shop or yeah, going to various coffee shops close by. And I found that I was kind of going to loads of different ones around the city in Berlin. And the one I'd be in would be dependent on the type of work I was doing. And this kind of over four years developed into this kind of circuit of about 10 places. And I was kind of like, okay, I'll go here to triage email and I'll go here to focus on writing. And I'll go here for a call because it's always quiet. And I'll go here for whatever. And I can't really explain why that worked so well for me, but it, it meant that I was on my bike, you know, three times a day for 10, 15 minute bit of exercise to the next place and getting, getting lots done and been able to kind of plan my day by location. That's interesting. And I think it actually relates back to Jade's earlier point around the music. It's kind of about compartmentalizing different spaces or th- ways of thinking by your surroundings for what you're doing at the time. Presumably though, you know, with people not being able to go to necessarily a coffee shop at the moment, there are ways you could do that on a more micro level within your own home, you think? Totally. Yeah, totally. The other thing I would say, by the way, that the positive of working remotely is is the focus. Like you tend to, when you're working remotely, kind of the, the less necessary calls or meetings tend to start slipping away. I've certainly noticed that in the last, last couple of weeks anyway. 
but really you're you're not getting pulled into a room for a quick chat as often as you might be if you're in the office. And um, so you get more time. And if you're like an IC or a producer or a writer or whatever you're doing, you get more time to focus on stuff. And certainly when you know you say time zones are an issue, they are an issue. They they give loads of they, they spring up loads of issues. But that also allowed me in in, in those early days to have an, almost an entire day to like do a job or produce a thing. And when my boss would log in at 4 p.m., then in the afternoon I'd have something finished and complete and able to send over. Yeah, because you almost want to prove how active you've been during the day, I'd imagine. Exactly, yeah. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know that episode two of Offscript, our new series of candid conversations with Intercom, all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing, is out now on YouTube. Here's a teaser featuring our chief product officer, Paul Adams, discussing AI-first customer service. The best place for me to start is that technology only moves in one direction. Once you go through these like before-after moments, you never go back. AI has clearly already shown us that it can help in transformational ways. It has given us a new way to do customer service. And that new way is AI first. The business that provides incredible customer service is the business that will win. And the earlier that people lean into this completely new mindset, the earlier they can deliver this incredible holy grail type of customer experience, it's a huge opportunity for businesses to literally change how people think about them. It's just a matter of time. That's all to come on episode two of Offscript. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel right now and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. So moving on then, guys, I think one aspect of this, especially if people aren't used to this style of working is that things can get lonely at times. What advice do you have for people in terms of keeping their mental health in a good place when they're a very sociable person? They can't just turn to Joan or Jack who's sitting next to them and, you know, share their their random thoughts with them. Jack, do you want to speak to that? Yeah, I mean, first I would say they absolutely can. There are definitely times of the day where I randomly slack people and be like, have you ever thought about this? Have you, have you ever noticed that? Or I was just listening to this song. It totally reminds me of this other one. I think that especially if you're new to remote and these are people that you normally work with in the office, they'll probably love it for starters. And if you're someone who's always remote dealing with other people who maybe don't know you, I'd say they would also probably love it. I've never had anyone be like, oh, why are you bugging me? They want to have those little chats and interactions as well, as much as it can feel like you're bothering someone because you're sending them a message, which I think we associate with, you know, sending someone an email and, and taking up their time. It's definitely something that you can interact and, and chat with people casually. And whether you do it in, you know, private messages or if you have a channel set up specifically, like we have probably close to 100 channels in, in our Slack at Intercom about different topics. You know, there's channels for cooking and gardening and movies and books and, and people who want to go and chat about X, Y, or Z have a place to go and do that comfortably. And I think it's it's really just about creating those spaces and, and giving it a go. Like I said, I've, I've never had a negative response from having a random chat with a coworker when I felt like a chat or even you don't have to have anything to say, you know, you can say, man, I'm super lonely. This is really weird. This is, this is boring or this is hard or, or I'm stressed or whatever it is. I'm sure that other people are feeling the same thing and, and they will be probably far more welcoming than you'd realize of a, a chance to have a random chat about it. Just 
to also on the flip side, if anyone decides to have a random chat with you about something, do be that welcoming and, and inviting ear for them. It, it could be more important than you realize. Like you said, this is this is mental health and, and it's serious and, and people should be able to, to have a chat with their coworkers about how they're feeling or, or what they're thinking, whether it's a big deal or, or just a song they heard. Or Yeah, that's really, really good advice. And I think it, it, particularly the advice of being open to it if other people come to you. Jade, what are your thoughts on that? What advice would you have? Is it time away from the desk? Is it virtual coffees? Yeah, no, to echo Jack's point a bit around pinging people on Slack, I do want to give a a shout out to one of our old teammates, Tim um, from Brunei, because he was fabulous at this. And I probably was one of the people who got a bit too stuck into work sometimes and um, hearing from from someone like that to say hey and, and to check in and have a quick like two to five minute chat or something, messaging back and forth was always appreciated. And it was definitely something I was always grateful to hear from. The other thing for me was maybe not so much around the loneliness, maybe this is more the compartmentalizing the different parts in in your space. I used to drink a lot of water and um, that was one of my favorite hacks was because it meant I had to go to the bathroom quite a lot of times. But I had a post-it note on the wall that I passed and every time I passed it, it just reminded me to do some squats and push-ups. And that sounds a bit weird, but when your whole routine's a little bit shaken up and maybe you can't get out of the house to do your normal run or um, go to the gym like you normally would, it's kind of amazing to me how those little kind of I don't know, additions to your day that you can add in, add up and ended up having quite a positive effect on my mental health. And that was obviously when I was working remote a couple of years ago. And it's the first thing that I kind of reinstated to my work from home life at this time. And I proud to say I've done more press-ups this week than I have probably in the last month. <laughs> so um, yeah, no, it, it's good to find things like that. Like everyone's personal and they'll have their own like things that work best for them, but definitely being open to it and realizing that it is a different situation from work, but there's definitely some positives that you can create out of that. Rory, what about you? Because I know you're a big advocate for exercise in the middle of the working day. And I think a lot of people don't feel that they can or should take time out to do that. What are your thoughts? I mean, they totally should. It's again, like Jade, it was the first thing that clicked back into gear for me the last couple of weeks. I was doing lunchtime runs straight away. But yeah, during that time over in Berlin, I would, uh, you know, as I said, I was, I was cycling a lot. I was going from coffee shop to coffee shop usually. But I would also make time during a lot of days to go out for a, a big long run or a big long cycle in the middle of the day and make sure I was getting that done. It's just, it's so, as everyone knows who exercises, it's so settling for the mood. You get an energy boost out of it um, and gives you a much kind of uh, fresher afternoon if you do it midday. So yeah, totally exercise for the win. Noted. I'm going to, I'm going to do a dance class in my bedroom for, for my next break then. So guys, this is all brilliant advice on an individual level, but let's look at the wider team now. Jack, you previously have put together a really great talk that I know that you've shared with some of us in Intercom called Working Across Land and Sea. Uh, Now a very popular blog post on our blog as well. What is your advice for teams adapting to this style of working now? Um, I think a lot of it is is very similar to what we've said about the individual level, but to to me it really comes down to establishing that super, super clear communication because if the communication among your team isn't clear, then everything else will sort of fall apart. And this isn't just when you're working remotely, but we also you know have offices around the globe and, and this was a talk that I was giving for people whose teams were split across offices, um, even when they were all in office. And it comes down to, uh, it's an acronym, ACE, A-C-E. And the three things that I've found that the most helpful is to assume positive intent, 
it's really easy to misread a message and think that it's been said in a nasty way or you know negative or patronizing or whatever there's a million different ways that you can take a message and chances are it's not at all the way that it was intended it's so easy to get it wrong when you're writing it and so easy to think the worst when you receive it but yeah if you just assume positive intent take a minute to I, I like to read the message with a smile because it will sort of force you to take it in its most positive tone and you'll realize oh wait this this reads totally differently this way then the second one c is to just clarify any ambiguity there's this weird dynamic i think we are so used to like when we read content, it might be content from you know a magazine or, or a website, or whatever. We can't get clarification from whoever wrote it, and we're used to the onus being on us to interpret it and understand it. Whereas when you're communicating via chat or email, that's not the case. Like these are are a proxy for speaking, and I think that in spoken conversation, the onus is definitely on the speaker to make sure that they are being understood. So just about having that like confidence and that freedom to know that if some someone says something to you that isn't super clear, whether that's how they how they feel about something or what they actually mean, to just ask more questions, dig in a little deeper, it will not only help you understand exactly what's going on, but it can maybe highlight areas where they're not being super clear, which they can then work on when they talk to other people. Like it has a, a bit of a flow on effect. And just to encourage that among your team that anyone can ask lots of questions and, and that there's no, oh, I, I'm stupid because I didn't understand this thing that was said to me or oh, maybe I, I don't get it, I should think harder. Like, just ask the questions. In person, you'd just make a confused face. It's basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the, the last one there, the E, is just express yourself. It doesn't take much effort to throw an emoji at the end of a line or to, you know, share GIFs and Slack and that sort of thing. And these really help to, A, get across how you feel about things and also just to build some of of what's missing from written communication. You know, you don't get the facial expressions and the tone of voice, hand gestures, but they're really easy to replicate with emojis and with GIFs and, you know, throw a bunch of extra exclamation marks, use all caps, use italics, whatever it takes to just express yourself a little bit more clearly to try and make that more richer experience when communicating in text. So, yeah, keep it ACE uh, and all of your team's communication will be better. And then from there, everything else can sort of work itself out, I think. It's an interesting point because I think in more traditional business mediums, there's an expectation that using emoji or multiple exclamation marks will read as unprofessional. But when you're working in this style, they really are necessary according to what you're saying. Yeah, I really think that they are. Like, When we speak in person, we don't try and aim for a monotone and a very rhythmic pace of speaking because that's not professional, that's robotic, you know? Uh, And Mm -hmm. and like I said, these are a a proxy for real and human conversation. And so they should be as close to that as possible. And it really is easy to include them. Yeah, maybe if you're writing an, an email to the CEO or some some big sales lead or or something and, and you're concerned and you want to be professional, sure, you know, button it up. But for communication within your team, absolutely, I think, and encourage it to be much more human and, and make it personal. And it is something that we always have a lot of fun with in Intercom. People have their own emojis in Slack. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've got nearly as many custom emojis as there are real ones. Um, <laughs> 
Guys, any any thoughts on that um, yourselves? I, I know it was Jack that wrote the piece, but... Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of emoji. So um, I am all down down for that one. And yeah, as Jake said, it's, it's not a hard thing to do. You'd be surprised how creative um, things can get and what ends up kind of organically, I guess, organically surfacing from that. Like we had things like emoji chains going on for, for a while where, again, it's a weird thing that kind of cultivates on Slack that comes out of people just willing to be expressive and to jump on and um, kind of create a bit of team dynamic uh, around that. So yeah, Jack was notoriously our breaker of, of emoji chains, which is basically like a flash mob in Slack where people drop in I was going to say, can you, yeah. <laughs> can you explain this in more detail for people like me who've never heard of one? Yeah, um, no, it was... It, I guess you could call it a flash mob in Slack where oh. someone would post an emoji and yeah. um, the people afterwards would post the same emoji. So it's just the same emoji getting added and added and added um, until someone breaks the chain. So we started this in support team uh, a few years ago and it's something that actually the whole company started doing <laughs> recently, um, a couple of months ago in our general channel, which again was you know, there's a time and place for everything, but I think sometimes those little light moments just break the tension or give people a laugh and give people a little bit of reprieve. And um, it's, it's really nice. That's really, really sweet. Rory, moving away now from the actual team to the managers themselves, what do you guys need to do? Are there particular practices that you would recommend at that level to keep your team operating collaboratively and at peak performance? Yeah, there's a few things. I mean, the one that jumps to mind straight away is I think Jack touched on communication there, but like over communication is really, really important when you are kind of working with people who aren't in the same physical space as you and that like across all channels, really. So if I'm writing something, and I'm trying to describe something, I always like throw that extra sentence in just to kind of preempt any questions that might come up. Uh, like, especially when time zones, again, are an issue, if you're like, if you're writing a, a, an important email to somebody and they're not going to be able to ask you questions when they open it because you're asleep. It's always worth spending those extra few minutes just writing an extra sentence or two or three just to preempt any kind of questions that they might have at that point. And I found that to be really effective. I always ask the team to do the same. Other things would be like using video. So if I, for example, I'm asked to give feedback on some work that's been done, oftentimes I'll just jump into a, you know, a quiet room and open up one of the you know, screencasting tools and just give my feedback in real time with the piece of work on screen. Um, and then just post in the video. It's way easier for me to can, like compose that feedback. It's way easier for the person who's receiving it to receive it. <laughs> and it's just more personal, more connected. And it's just more efficient way to do things. It's probably closer to what you'd do if you were there in person as well, where you'd just say, oh, do you have a couple of minutes? Exactly, exactly. It kind of, it kind of mim- mimics that dynamic, you're right. Likewise, with meetings, I would always be... Uh, open to hey can we just jump on a call right now and <laughs> um, if something if if you're if you're communicating over slack and something isn't clear or um, we need to clarify something or it's just going to be quicker face to face like let's just jump on, jump on the phone and um, so face to face video calls really really important obviously and um, you can't do everything over slack or email um and then something else i've all, always really kind of pushed on is like making sure expectations and plans and strategies are explicitly understood so, you know, taking, again, taking that time to ask, like, are, are we clear? Like, have we got everything? Because again, if you're not going to speak to that person for a day or two, and, you know, there's been a miscommunication of some description, it's, that's two, it can be two days wasted if one of the parties has misunderstood something. So yeah, taking those extra few minutes, just to double, triple check, are we clear on what, what we're doing here? I would say that managing 
in my opinion, <laughs> it doesn't work all that well remotely. Um, having having kind of transitioned from like an uh, individual contributor role into a manager while remote and then gone to, be, to being a manager in an office, managing people as far as a manager is concerned, definitely. And I'm sure as far as the, uh, I suppose the person reporting that manager isn't as good as being right beside that person every day, I would say, uh, for lots of reasons. It's made harder. I, I, I would say if it's one or two people, it's okay. Uh, it works because you do find that because you're not having those little micro communications every day, kind of the 15 second informal chats to bring you up to speed, one kind of piece of context at a time, because those are absent when you're remote, you do find more time in the calendar to catch up with people. And so your, your calendar fills up quickly because you're probably having an additional one-on-one per week, or you're uh, having calls on particular projects that you might need if the person's sitting beside you. And so you multiply that out by two, three, four or five people, and suddenly it's a lot of additional time every week. And so I would actually be uh, of the mind that remote, uh, on the flip side, works brilliantly for anyone who's in an in, in, uh, individual contributor role. And because of the focus and the time and the flexibility and all those, all that stuff. But from a managing point of view, I actually rather, uh, you know, being on site with the, with the person. That's fair enough. But do you think yeah. in say, a scenario like we're in at the moment, having already established that trust relationship and the dynamic with people where they know, oh, Rory might check in on this or I, I need to give him that rather than starting from scratch in a remote working circumstances. Do you think that will help at all? Definitely, yeah. Um, I think you absolutely need to have a really solid relationship with the team if you're if you're managing them remotely. Um, you need to be able to trust. Trust is the key word there. Like you need to be able to trust that person to kind of be autonomous and be able to like make decisions on the fly without you there or, or and things like that. I would say that it's important as well to meet these people on occasion. I don't think going remote uh, and staying remote forever, having never met the person is, is ideal at all. So we do, we try and do like half yearly or yearly offsites with just, just our team where everyone kind of gets together and, and, and meets. And, you know, people who are remote visit the office uh, from time to time as well, just to meet the team. And that's really important in building that trust and building those relationships. What you're describing there in terms of needing to build that that trust and that relationship. What does that mean then in terms of folk who are trying to hire people at the moment? Like it's a super important part of business and of keeping any business going. So, you know, how do you go about that in a scenario where you never get to actually meet the person in person? Yeah, it's hard. Like I would say, like I would kind of um, roll out a, a more robust hiring loop and make sure that maybe a couple of additional people meet these people on VC calls, make sure you possibly put a, a couple of different rounds in, you know, do do all the extra bits and pieces you might not always do when you're hiring in terms of, like, you know, reference checks and that kind of stuff. I guess it is hard and it is riskier if you don't have that connection with people. But, you know, we've been lucky so far. We've like the, the people we have hired that have been working out have been great. I haven't run into too many issues, but it's always been top of mind for me when hiring someone that's going to be remote to just kind of be a bit, be double sure <laughs> that you're, you're going to be able to build trust with that person. That's great advice. Well, guys, thanks so much for sharing all your expertise with us today. I know it's going to be very, very useful to a lot of our audience out there. And certainly there's plenty of stuff that I am going to be taking on board and putting into action straight away. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you all. And thanks for joining the show. Thanks, Dee. Thanks, Dee. Thanks, Dee. It's been a pleasure. We hope you enjoyed our panel discussion on remote working. We'll be back next week with another episode of Inside Intercom 
where we'll chat to some of our peers and partners across the SaaS community to find out how they're getting on and how they're addressing the challenges they're facing in the current climate. We hope you'll join us. This is Inside Intercom.